0: Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Well, thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design today. Um, We've got a really, really interesting uh, speaker with us, um, Becky Turner. Who I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, but first of all, I have to say thanks to everybody who's actually gone and bought a printed and an ebook copy of our Journal of Biophilic Design. You can get it on Amazon and also directly from ourselves on the journal of biophilicdesign.com. And I also have to let you know, as my business coach wouldn't let speak to me again if I didn't tell you, um, if you like our podcast series, obviously, please subscribe to the channel. Um, but you can also buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com and I'll put, put a link on the spiel. So that's the ask out of the way, the bit that I'm rubbish out and I feel really uncomfortable asking. So if you would like to buy me a coffee, that would be wonderful. Um, and Thank you in advance on both both accounts anyway. Um, so anyway, back to the podcast. Um We're really, um, really thrilled to be joined by, as I say, Becky Turner. She's a workplace consultant at Claremont Group Interiors. She's going to be speaking at the workplace event. Um, And if you don't know, that's taking place at the NEC in Birmingham in the UK um, on the 25th and 27th of April, 2023. We're going to be there, too. Becky is going to be speaking about the um, workplace, ooh, (laughs) um she's going to tell us about that in a minute um but if you want to uh book a free place um to the event um I'm going to put a link as well on the spiel that goes with the podcast so first of all Becky hi how are you
1: all right very well thank you yeah thanks for um thanks for having me
0: excellent great well um can you tell us about yourself and what got you into uh, workplace psychology
1: yeah yeah I can um I mean I've always been really interested in psychology it's Something that throughout school, throughout A-levels and then into into my undergrad at psychology, it's just been something that I've been fascinated by. Um, and then I went traveling, so sort I of did that gap year thing. Um, and I remember being in Australia and speaking to somebody. I met somebody who was talking about occupational psychology and I thought, oh, no, that sounds awful. That sounds really <laughs> dull. I don't <laughs> want to do that. And um, she, she'd sort of said, if you wanted to come out to Sydney afterwards, I can get you a job and this and that. And I thought, you know what? It sounds just boring. <laughs> uh, you know, when, when you're going into doing an, an undergrad, you think oh, I'll get into the forensic stuff, profiling killers and I'll get into the clinical stuff. All of that sort of exciting. What, what people get really invigorated by in psychology. Um, but yeah, go full scale. I got into to sort of education sector after uni, decided that wasn't quite for me. Um, And then I found a job at Claremont and it was it was all in um, sort of a mix between the business development and the um, marketing team. And as I was getting invested in the organization, I sort of thought, oh, there's there's a little bit of a gap here. I think we're designing spaces for people, but there's not a psychology element to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sort of took put my thoughts on paper a little bit, took that to our um, to, to my manager at the time and said actually I think there's a gap I'd like to fill it I'd like to be the person to do it let me out for day release essentially one day a week and um, I'll go and complete my master's um, in in organizational psychology and sort of five six years on here we are Fantastic. so that it was you know quite an interesting story I didn't think I didn't think I'd end up here to be completely honest but it's where we spend five days a week at work so and it, it impacts our psyche massively so yeah Yeah.
0: it's really true and that's really it's interesting to hear you say it impacts our psychology massively it does and um and Mm -hmm. listeners you're going to hear more about um how it impacts us and and what we can do to really make it um make it make it good for us um say i normally start um you know kind of trying to set the scene saying what's wrong with the workplace but um i don't want to do that today (laughs) um I know we're going to come to that, obviously, but um, I want to know a little bit mm-hmm. more about what you're working on and obviously what you're going to be speaking at, at the um, workplace event. Um, the workplace, ooh, double O. I so I've written it down. Um, I'm going to let you describe that to the listeners. Um, and obviously, I know nature connection as well is important to you. I mean, how can you explain how we should feel when we enter an office? How, how should that workplace experience be for us?
1: Mm. So the the workplace, ew, or it, it could be you know it was really born about this sort of walking into a space or or a natural area wherever it is and you get that sense of awe and you kind of go like oh, or if you're seeing fireworks something like oh, interesting, um and we wanted to sort of replicate that within the workplace because since the since the kind of pandemic and this um, sort of new normal next normal whatever you want to call it way of working, um we we thought. OK, talking about all these desk ratios and occupancy numbers, that's not what's getting people back to the office. They're not going to think, oh, a six to 10 desk ratio. That's perfect. I'm going to go. I'm going to make that <laughs> commute just for that reason. <laughs> you're you're going to go back to the office for for a feeling, for a, a sense of connection. What's going to um, really make you take, take the cost of the commute, whether that's financial or time, you know, yeah. what's going to drive you into the office? Um, so we wanted to do a bit of research on this. We, we had our own thoughts, but we thought, okay, let, let's go out and see what everyone else is thinking. So we commissioned a piece of research, went to um, just over a thousand office-based workers. And it, it sort of let us know what kind of, what what types of things beyond, like, say, desks and functional areas are going to invite you back to the office. Um, Which really is one of the things that we're hearing so many of our clients talking about. We can't get anyone in low occupancy at, like, 30% or something like that. So, um, yeah, we we found essentially six key feelings that people not just want the office to to give them, but really are starting to expect from the office. Um, I'll go into a bit more detail about what those are, sort of at the event, and as we release our, our white paper um, or report based on this. But but one of them really is that sense of um, being connected, feeling connected. Um, and for me, this links really nicely to biophilia in that in from's kind of wider consideration of biophilia in that love of life and so it's not just nature to me it's it's that sense of connection with other people and community it's the sense of freedom which comes possibly with hybrid working depending on the kind of model your organization's implementing um but yet connection to your brand connection to your people to your organization to your sense of purpose Mm -hmm. all of those things are so important and you can really it's difficult to design into these, it's complex. Um, All of these six feelings, how do you design to incite a feeling? Um, But it comes through all different elements. So color theory, it comes from that employee journey, the employee experience, the brand experience, how you're driving people into one space for those connections, spontaneous connections that you don't get through that more transactional way of working when it's just virtual. You call somebody for a reason, you don't just bump into them so um yeah it's all about that journey really and, and what you put within the journey and the variety of spaces if that makes any
0: sense yeah no absolutely um as you say it's it's about people and I, I always say that about biophilia. people think oh it's plants and you know it's it's um you know that connection to like wood or trees or whatever and it's sort of on oh, patterns of nature but it's bio it's mm-hmm. life it's all living things it's anything that, that's living and as you say it's us too and animals you know, I'm also known yeah. for kind of bringing animals yeah. into the workplace or animals into a care home or a work, you know. Um, I think just to be connected to things that are alive, just it just fills you with joy. It fills you with that, that ooh feeling, you know. Um, it really yeah. oh no, There's
1: something. Go on. <laughs> I was gonna say there's something to be said about that feeling when somebody does bring in a dog to the office and right. yeah, I think it's got to be done about the right way because there are some people that might be afraid of dogs or their culture shows that actually dogs shouldn't be domestic animals, what, whatever it is. But if it's done in the right way, that the feeling that people get, you, yeah. we've got one of my colleagues, she brings in her um, Frenchie sometimes and there's people rolling around the floor with the dog. and <laughs> you know, it, Although it takes you out of your, your work for maybe five minutes, the energy that it invigorates back into you um you know it's an investment of time isn't it and it just makes people feel so much better and connected to that one thing at that time yeah and it's fun isn't
0: it it kind of it lifts you because it's it's funny it's it makes you it gives you joy doesn't it it gives you that happiness It gives you that sense of, of of laughter as well when you see it kind of like you know giggling around and rolling on the floor or whatever um obviously biophilic design obviously we talk about biophilia and life um so but for me obviously, biophilic design holds so many keys to sort of like bringing that awe and that sort of sense of like oh yeah I must get back into the office I did like that about you know the <laughs> ratio thing really not doing it not cutting it um but um you know obviously from you know everything from like prospect and refuge um to sort of improving acoustics and everything um I mean what for you is sort of positive about biophilic design I mean you've touched on it already but you know, what, what, what is it about biophilic Design that would allow designers to, um, you know, to create these better workplace environments for people to come to?
1: Mm, it's it's kind of an interesting one because the, the benefits are so widely documented and so widely researched. It's you almost think if you put that research in front of somebody, it'd be silly not to take it up. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, the, the reduction in cortisol. So there's the stress hormone to make you feel better and um, to make you feel less stressed, increased mood, creativity, productivity that sense of of connection and uh, with people as well, again, Um, and all of that will create a sort of a healthier, happier, and more productive workforce. Mm -hmm. But then why aren't people doing it? It, It's it's just interesting to me. Um, And I think that unconsciousness shows for us in some some workshops that we carry out. Um, So if we're engaging with an organization that are gonna go through a workplace change, uh, sort of a refurbishment or a relocation, something like that, a redesign, We'll do some workshops with some colleagues, and and part of the activity is almost a, a budgeting exercise where we'll give people, I think it's about sixteen different elements of the workplace, and get them to put a hundred pound budget against that, um, so they can allocate it however they like. Doesn't have to be against everything. And unanimously, plants or planting gets maybe five pounds, but predominantly at zero. No one wants to spend money on that when they could spend more on tech or lighting all those other areas um so really it's it's sort of showers and plants that come at the bottom um <laughs> but then it's it's interesting but later on we we do sort of an, an exercise where people pick out certain images of the workplace that they'd like theirs to look like and again unanimously they've always got plants in them and not all the images do have plants in yeah. um and it's that sense of natural light it's the sense of space it all relates back to biophilia but it's it seems to me therefore there's sort of an unconscious connection um which is maybe why there's a difficulty there um in in taking all those statistics and then implementing them because there is a cost associated but actually the benefits are not always benefits that you feel are not always tangible Mm -hmm. um particularly if you're coming from it from a facilities management or a finance perspective if that makes sense so it's it's difficult to do. Um, but for me, it, it of course, biophilic design, as I mentioned, and as you mentioned, it goes beyond just the plants. It's it's making the most of your natural light. It's incorporating natural imagery into the space. Um, and it's creating or taking those principles from the workplace, like uh, the, the natural environment, like you mentioned with the um, prospect refuge theory. We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, But it's taking all of those elements and and weaving them into design, really. Um, And you could be fun and you could be creative with it. And that freedom of choice for me is a key principle of biophilia, uh, biophilic design. It's a freedom of choice. And with the current workplaces and the way that we're moving, um, I think that's becoming a lot more prevalent, which is great to see. It's not just that you get a desk and an office and and a meeting room anymore. You do get a sense of choice. and freedom to explore so for our designers they're able to naturally create those better environments by weaving this into the fundamental um concept of design yeah I think as well you know you
0: say I think what one of the things I love about biophilic design is that you can create this zoning you can create these spaces you can kind of create this terrain where we can walk about and explore and you know almost have that you know savannah and then the sort of like you know the the sort of prospect the refuge thing where you can put yourself in a cave almost you know what I mean if you kind of and you sort of create those those mm-hmm. spaces um so that we can choose where we want to go and where we want to sit and where we want to focus obviously not every workplace has the sort of maybe the space to do that but then if people are working from home then there is space you know we kind of I know Nigel Osland always talks about how we should you know the workplace zoo <laughs> um you know how we need to landscape the office mm-hmm. the bureau of landscape um you know the, the, or uh, well, the Landschaft Bureau, of kind of make, put it around the right way in German, So, uh, uh, um, you know, how we should create that landscaped office so that we can um, have those havens and, and those spaces for when we have a different different sort of mindset. Actually, I'd like, I would like to talk about choice. Um, you know, obviously, people have worked from home and they've kind of said, oh, I actually want to go and walk the dog now or I want to just like go and work in the, you know, in the bedroom because it's quiet and I need some quiet space and all the kids are making a noise or you know, the same thing if like for in a workplace, you know, they kind of all oh, my colleagues are making a noise. Oh, where am I going to go? Um, I've got nowhere to go. I've got it stuck to my desk. <laughs> um, you know, so there isn't that element of choice. I mean, how do you um, you know, how do you think we can sort of help the workforce not lose that sense of autonomy? Um, uh, you know, and how do we bring that back as designers? Um, obviously, Bioflute Design is one of those things. So what do you what's your sort of thought on that on, on choice?
1: It's for me that the thought is how important it is right. um, beyond choice. It, it's a sense of control, I think, which comes, you know, it, it sits alongside having the choice and, and therefore you've got a personal control um, and an organization that empowers you to take that control as well. So they don't just say, this is it. But actually, if I do not see you at your desk, I'll be yeah. wondering what you're doing. So it's kind of a presenteeism is a mindset shift um, as, as we're hearing a lot. And in a hybrid world, there's lots of forms of hybrid working and some organisations are being quite fluid with it, um, which is absolutely a, a great way to go. It's it's offering that choice naturally. Um, however, some are mandating days in the office and, and that could be for many reasons and it might work for that organisation. Um, it could be to change the habit of working from home um, and actually driving people back in and then you'll get to a point where they can make an informed choice after that based on uh, sort of what they've got on that day or tasks and activities or personal commitments, whatever it might be. But for now, organisations that are mandating days back in, you're almost taking away a sense of choice and control that people had before. So it's up to them to then put into the office, design into the office, choice, micro choices, I suppose. Um, it's all about variety really so taking into consideration lots of different things so um your job role your personality your personal preferences any sort of um neurodiversity mental um, or physical disability or challenges you now all of those things are going to mean that people will use the office differently so purely by giving variety and um, so you've got Maybe some, some hyper minimal spaces so people can go and just focus without getting distracted because p- perhaps they've got ADHD and the smallest thing will distract you from what you're doing. Um, it could be those quiet refuge spaces to, to take five if you're particularly stressed uh, or you've had a highly emotive call if you're in a contact centre, for example. And um, It could be a dynamic workspace that you can get up and you're, you know, whiteboarding and you're having a creative session. You might even want to take that outside if that's not pushing it too far. Um, So, yeah, all of those areas really are creating variety, which gives you a sense of choice to then think, okay, for me, I'm best doing this piece of work here because. Mm -hmm. um, And providing your colleagues with that opportunity to explore your space if it's new explore it and work out what works best for them. Don't mandate that this space is just for this activity. Let them go and have a little play, have a work out what works for them. And again, be creative and have some fun within the space. Yeah.
0: I think you also mentioned like your sort of micro choices. I thought that was an interesting Mm. phrase. there are different people I talk to, and different manufacturers are like offering, you know, like micro control of lighting or heated desks, or you know, um, you know, was, there's so many things about leaving blow heaters under tables and all that sort of thing that we've, we've spoken about really? before. But um, you know, it, does that all fall into it? That sort of like actually your the environment, not just like where you go um, and what that looks like, but actually, you know, how, how what do you what's your sort of take on on those kind of micro choices?
1: Yeah, really important. Um, again, you've been able to control that a lot at home. So you can really, people tend to have desk lamps that they can control the the um, the level of lighting or the shade of lighting that they've got or the sound. And again, almost unanimously top five reasons for people not coming back to the office that we found from our surveys since, since around, you know, since the workplaces started to open up again. Noise has been a real challenge. Um, And I think the level of noise hasn't changed necessarily um, since pre-COVID. So why is it such an issue now? And I think that comes from a perception. So people have been able to control that noise at home, whether it's music or um, silence or whatever it is. And they've been able to control it to an extent. Whereas coming back to the workplace, you lose that sense of control over it in the most part. So providing quiet spaces that you can go to to focus. Um, But actually, you could go into those spaces and put on a little bit of um, music, whether that's to get some energy going or if that's to, to calm you and get you focused. Or you might put on white noise or brown noise or pink noise to get you into that zone of focus. So, yeah those small elements that control the environment around you, lighting, noise, temperature, they're the key ones that we find. If you can, we're not saying that you want to, especially if you've got an open plan workspace, you want everyone to be able to have to control the temperature because we know what happens there is a nightmare. Um, but having certain spaces that you could go to that you either know are a bit cooler, you know are a bit warmer, or you can just sit in that small pod and control it to whatever suits you. Yeah. Um Because we we know, for example, males and females have different optimum body temperatures or uh, sorry, temperatures around them to work at their best. Mm -hmm. You've also then got, um, for example, menopause and being able to control that. And you might want to really quickly change the temperature because of what your body's doing at the time. So everyone's going to be a little bit different. So offering a sense of control in some way is going to be beneficial to your people and part of that human centric design, really. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Um, You you mentioned about neurodiversity, and Mm -hmm. maybe we could talk about that now. Um, Obviously, the workforce is more inclusive, thankfully, mostly. (laughs) It's (laughs) not perfect by any means. Um, But what do we need to be considering? I mean, you've touched on it already, but I mean, what do we need to be considering, particularly in workplace environments, um, when we're considering a sort of neurodiverse um, workforce, you know, and... You know what would the impact be on on everybody actually you know what what would um you know if we're sort of designing for the, the extremes as it were
1: yeah and I'm glad you mentioned that actually designing for the extremes because speaking with our neurodiversity partners it's it's basically everything that you do to yeah. to support the neurodivergent community in a workforce is going to be a benefit to everybody everyone can use it but like you say you're designing for the extremes and everywhere in between so you know it's, it's not just making one change that will suit that the small that the small percentage it's going to help everyone mm-hmm. um so neurodiversity really refers to that that um sort of individual differences in your brain functioning and behavioral traits um and it was around the I think it was the late 90s 98 I think that Judy Singer kind of coined this term and it was more from a a positive social science perspective rather than a a medical perspective so we're taking it away from sort of dsm and you know the, the real medical side and actually thinking okay, there's benefits to this that that is just natural differentiators, differentiated within the brain and um, everyone's wired differently anyway but these are just groups of people that are wired differently in similar ways if that makes sense yeah and um, so really finding the benefits of, of that and i think we're still pushing against a, a little bit of well, there's a bit of friction um, in terms of awareness and understanding um, and therefore creating a, a an, an openness to talk about it and therefore creating an inclusive environment or an equitable, equitable environment as, as we like to sort of design for. Um, and I think it, there's a quote, I can't remember exactly who it's by, but it, it says, once you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Um, and that just highlights again that, you've got such different sides of um, the scale of what people need under that neurodiversity umbrella. So to think specifically, oh, I I have to design for this one trait, you'll be there forever. And it wouldn't be a very holistic design because it would just be so haphazard. Um, So it's really latching onto that sense of choice that we're offering, um, generally in the workplace now anyway. Um, And that understanding that people can use and are empowered to use those different spaces. Um, a lot of what we're seeing at the moment is people wanting to come back to collaborate and socialize. And they're the buzz terms that we're hearing. But actually, if you, you take an autistic person, they might not want to do that, or they might not feel so comfortable doing it. Um so we've got to think, okay, how can we support them? So we're you're not bringing everybody back to the workplace and they're gonna have to start masking again. Mm-hmm. um covering up their, maybe symptoms isn't the right word, their behavioural traits associated with their neurodivergence. And that, you know, the pandemic was a leveller in a sense. These people got to, um, well, everybody got to control, as we mentioned, control their environment and make it work exactly for them. And now if we're mandating people coming back to the office, you've got to make it work for them. It's not fair otherwise. And like I say, they'll have to come back and mask and that's just emotionally draining. Mm. So creating some of these sort of spaces of sanctuary um, to take five um, and bringing in natural biophilic elements to those spaces so it's naturally it's going to make you so much calmer being in a small room that's got some natural imagery, maybe views of outside if that's available to you um, neutral colours and also bringing in maybe as we spoke about previously sort of soundscaping and an opportunity to connect all of the senses to nature smells perhaps, although that can be quite you'd like to offer a sense of control over the smells in a a space like this. Um, And I think one of the areas that maybe we don't touch on enough is the texture as well, the texture you find in the environment. And for a lot of neurodivergent people, they might want to stim. So, um, you know, play with something or touch something to, to ground them back to a base level where they can work again. Um, And by having some, you know, some natural kind of, textures around that they can just stroke or a dog as we mentioned something to just ground you and yeah. um, will be really again really impactful um, and, and then realize that these these colleagues are just as worthy as everybody else. That, that's
0: lovely. I' I'm interviewed um, David Acoyman of Nook Pods um and he's got these sort of he's got these um sort of sensory pods where people can go and they are movable and they're amazing and um he's he's really like really interested in it. I actually got that from there you know design for the extremes and you've designed for everybody so you know that's I've got to credit him for that um but um in their their nook pods they he told me he has underneath the table he has like a fiddlestick so for people to go in there and and it just sort of just like you say it brings them down I mean I was like my goodness this things that you think about I mean we're all like that I mean especially you know at the moment Mm. I'm going through a bit of a turmoil thing sort of with um things and I'm just and I'm fiddling and I'm like but we're all like that sometimes and we sort of all need to you know it doesn't I was talking to um a friend a couple of weeks ago and we're just saying about you know we talk about neurodiversity but actually we're all you know our, our our neuro side of things is diverse for us anyway at different times so um yeah i think um and and nature is such a thing i mean soundscaping is great and being able to sort of control that control your lighting i know in the nook pods you can control the color that you have so some people like purple some people like blue you know so you've got that variation mm-hmm. that control to like, bring you down very quickly You know, it's all right. You know, it's good if you can create something that's a mean, and everybody sits in there and goes, "Okay, I'll get to a certain level." But if you want to bring someone quickly for them to be able to go in and go, "Oh, this is how I want it." Um, That, like you say, I like that phrase you use, the micro control. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's that's really, really a valid point there. Um, I mean, do you? How are you finding just generally in in sort of in the commercial side? I mean, you mentioned about business development, sort of things that you're doing as well. Um, How are you finding work? Uh, sort of businesses um are they are they sort of embracing this um you know are are they looking mostly at their bottom line you know what's what's the sort of trends at the moment is it a real mix or you know are the ones that are embracing it are they really embracing it and you know is that is that kind of like are you feeling optimistic or or how what's the sort of
1: like snapshot as it were (laughs) yeah I think I'm feeling optimistic um there's definitely Progression towards that consideration of of the human experience within a workplace, and not just seeing people as commodities and functional beings, essentially. Um, but there's still there's still work to be done. Like I say, it's, it's positive progression, but there's still work to be done. I um, think if if you think back to pre prior to pandemic, um, we were speaking with predominantly CEOs, um, CFOs, COOs, like people that are generally. Um, very functional and ha- and have that okay how are we going to fit people in how much is it going to cost me what's going to be the return on investment from a very tangible perspective um but now nine times out of 10 probably more we're seeing um people people being involved in these projects right from the beginning whether that's as a sponsor or actually just a key driver of the project um and ultimate influencer and that that's really been a, a huge tangible shift that we've we've seen um and it just shows that there's much more consideration about that human-centric side of the workplace. Is it creating some sort of, human or people solutions to a spatial challenge if that makes sense so it's you can you can put a great light in and it could light up a, a workstation <laughs> but if there's no one there there's no purpose of having the light or the, the workstation so what's it got to do um, how is it meant to make people feel? Um, it's it's really interesting, actually, this drive um, and consideration of it as an investment and not just a cost. Mm-hmm. So you're investing in your people. Um, eventually, you will likely see uh, sort of an Im- improvement of productivity, but it doesn't go in silo. There's got to be the right behaviours in the space. There's got to be, um, like I say, giving people that freedom to explore and use the space in the way they feel like they Will, will support them the best you can't just give people a great space and say okay but still i expect to see you at your desk three days a week does that make sense so yeah, yeah there, there's definite progression um and we're working on i'd say there's so much data to show that sort of even biophilic elements within the workplace can have such a great impact on essentially bottom line performance um but really it's linking the linking that space can impact people's well-being and their happiness and their um healthiness both mentally and physically and and socially Mm -hmm. um you're connecting people you're going to be more creative you're going to have some great innovative conversations in in a space that's been created to incite that type of behavior Mm -hmm. um and that therefore will increase your bottom line but it with such a a huge upfront spend sometimes that can be a bit like yeah but how many desks we put in (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah exactly that i was i did mention it a lot but the um that terrapin bright green did that um fantastic report i don't i think they're going to update it but on the economics of the economic mm-hmm. benefits of biophilic design and if you know if, if people are listening to this podcast i do encourage people to go to the terrapin bright green um, website and download they've got like a load of resources on there that's free to download and there's it's just it's just really really good it's some facts and figures that people can reel out to the to the businesses yeah. to kind of like to add to the, the 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 um you know the the you know the, the force the force of putting in biophilic design and so you, do you think really that businesses generally are doing enough to support um you know sort of mix of personalities and different tasks are you are you finding that like generally it's kind of okay?
1: It's <laughs> getting there um tasks I think pr- before personalities Yeah. Uh, so like we say designing the you know since since I started with Claremont who, who do design and build for for offices it's it's we've been talking about the agile workplace and activity-based working and that really is about creating different spaces to suit different tasks so yeah. I think we're making some really good progress there and um, when it comes to personalities I'd question it maybe a little bit more. Um, So this is, again, further diversity, essentially, within the workplace. And we use um, the big big five personality model, um, or the five-factor model. So that's looking at, call it ocean. So it's openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So each of those are on a scale. So you've got an opposite to those. and it's rather than putting people into types like Myers Briggs, for example, I think that using the scales just gives you that element of uniqueness to each individual. Um, and it's probably the better in terms of academia to use as a model. Um and when if, if we take um introversion and extroversion as an example, because most people are, are very familiar with that, typically the workplaces have been created for the extrovert. So open plan isn't isn't a very nice place for an introvert to be necessarily you don't have that sanctuary or that sense of uh, security especially if you're soft of towards the middle of the open plan space um so and and Susan Cain writes quite a lot about this the the experience of an introvert uh, in a book quiet particularly and it's it's about bringing these people who probably make up around 50% of the population to be honest um to the forefront as well so you're creating spaces that work for both the introvert and the extrovert so um and like i mentioned before there's a lot of talk about collaboration and socializing and those being the key reasons that people should come back to the office but as as an introvert you probably couldn't think of much worse Uh, (laughs) but ultimately it, it might be what's best for your job your job role and the outputs that you're creating so um let's say that you buy the bullet and come in for those activities after a couple of hours you're likely to be completely emotionally drained uh, mentally drained because that's really essentially what an introvert is you, you, you get you get your energy from solace and being quiet and, and, and in a, your own space and uh, whereas extroverts get their energy from socializing being around people so you're draining energy you then need somewhere to go to replenish that um, and for most people when you're taking a break you think oh let's go to the social space
0: yeah.
1: like that again <laughs> it's not going to help um, so we, I'm always conscious when working with our designers that we include little spaces that might be within the social area but are just one person spaces or two person spaces where you can still feel connected um, and as if you could join in if you wanted to so you're not excluded in any any sense um, but actually you can just sit on your own no one's going to question it no one's going to say like oh you never get involved it's just a nice place of sanctuary for you and you can then recover your energy and then get back to whatever it is you need to do in the afternoon
0: yeah
1: it's really considering all of these different personality types and, and creating spaces that will help them function in the best way possible in the most productive way possible yeah um, and might... yeah i could going say creating sanctuaries i think are really
0: really important yeah pretty yeah. really are yeah, somewhere you can just go and recharge and and just sort of think. And I, if you can create it where it's still in the same space, it's still in like that sort of where everybody's hanging out, if if that's the only space you've got. But you've got somewhere where you can, mm-hmm. you, can you look like you're on your own or you kind of like, you can just sort of like tuck yourself in and, and sort of, again, prospect and refuge, isn't it? You kind of, you're looking out and things, you know. Um, is Absolutely. It's like, is there anything else you'd like to add before I come to my final question?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we spoke a bit about this sort of prospect refuge kind of um area, and that was that was, I think, coined by Jay Appleton and in his habitat theory. And it's essentially there's so many spaces in in nature that you can, you know, feel that sense of um seeking information gaining information from what's around you so the sense of prospect um being vigilant as well um and then also having that sense of shelter and protection so you feel you might have if you're in a cave as you mentioned earlier you've got protection around you because no one's getting in behind your back but you can still see out and and um you know check for any as what would have been evolutionarily um sort of any hazards or anything like that and i think one part of our evolutionary psychology really is that we still have that fight-or-flight kind of reaction to potential hazards Um historically that might have been uh, something that happens on like a, a threat to your life um, and that still happens now but it could also we still react to stimuli such as um, getting shouted at by a boss or something like that we still have that same reaction so having these um, places of refuge that you can sit but you still can be vigilant of what's around you and understanding those threats you're tapping back into what's what's helped you survive in the past um through evolution um, whilst being able to then recover all that energy as we say start to feel safer again and then get back to your work it's well we're not talking about putting a cave into the office sort of, but you might want to it'd be quite cool if you did um, but it could just be some high back chairs that you sit on that uh, it could be um, a little nook that you use it, you've you got an area of your weirdly shaped office that you're thinking, oh, actually, it could use that, put a little bit, put a little safe space in there. Um, or it could be a, a little area that you use biophilia, again, um, as kind of a, vid- a visual um, block. So people can't see in easily to you, but you can kind of still see through it um, to just define a little space of, of refuge. And I think that's, it's so important coming back to the workplace that we tap into those principles found within nature and not necessarily replicate um completely but yeah create similar environments that still satisfy that need and that yearning we have internally yeah,
0: that's lovely yeah. well um let's hope that the uh all the other designers that are listening to this and and businesses and 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 even architects actually have got they've got the um ability to be able to landscape a, a space in a workplace that they um they take on board what you've just said there so uh
1: mm. Well,
0: I'm coming to the final question, Um, just to listeners a reminder, if you would like to buy a copy of the uh, Journal of Biophilic Design, please go to our website or go to Amazon um, and um, just just that you can download a copy or you can buy a printed copy, which obviously looks very beautiful. and obviously, if you'd like to support the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to um, the podcast on all your RSS feeds. That would be lovely. Um, and if you're feeling flushed, do buy me a coffee. See, I've said it again. OK, so my business coach will be like <laughs> happy about that now. So that's that done. Um, right. So final question uh, to you, Becky. Um, if you could paint the world with a magic brush of biophilia, what would it look like?
1: I think back to that common theme, to be honest, that, that we've spoken about in, in that wider understanding of of biophilia and um, sense of connection so grounding ourselves probably back with with nature with each other with with time being present I think we miss that um when, when we sort of are slaves to our phone or for it to, to our laptops whatever it might be so yeah that that love of life really grounding ourselves um for, for me back when I mentioned sort of I went traveling a little while ago and on one of those trips, I was living with a tribe in Fiji for a little while. Um, and these these people they they live off the land and the water, um, they they work alongside it essentially. Um, and they're so happy, so happy. And they've got a sense of connection with their their people because you know those around them, you're all working together for a greater good, a sense of purpose. Um, and for me that just it's it sh- highlighted that we need to be present we need to rely on those around us and support those around us um and and like i say just be present in the moment i think it's really important and so grounding yeah using biophilia to ground us i'd say
0: thank you for listening to the journal of biophilic design podcast